Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 26 today as we continue our study in this portion of God's Word. And we'll have the opportunity later in our worship time to, uh, to remember Christ's sacrifice as we take the elements of communion, as we participate in the Lord's Supper. And so if you are watching uh, from home, perhaps this is a good time to pause and gather uh, some juice, gather uh, some crackers or bread so that you can join us in worship and remembering our Lord's sacrifice in this way. But you know, as creatures uh, who are made in the image of the Almighty God, creatures who are made in the image of God, there's a deep desire in each of us for fellowship with God. We, we want to know Him. We were made to know Him and to enjoy Him. We were made by Him and we were made for Him. And in the words of Augustine, our hearts will be restless until they find rest in Him. And friends, God wants us to find rest in Him. And so He says, God says to a bunch of sinners, He's just led out of slavery into the base of Mount Sinai in the desert. He says, I'm, I'm going to be your God and you are going to be my people. Make me a sanctuary and I'm going to dwell among you. Make it exactly like the pattern that I'm going to show him and show you. And then he begins to unpack what that is to look like. And so that's the place that we come to in God's word this morning. And so let me invite you to hear his word with me today from Exodus chapter 26. And as you find your place there in the Bible, let me invite you to join me standing uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 26. We'll be bouncing around a bit to get through this chapter. So follow along. Exodus chapter 26, verse 1. God says, Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. All the curtains are to be the same size, 28 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. Join five of the curtains together and do the same with the other five. Skip down with me to verse 7. Make curtains of goat hair for the tent over the tabernacle, 11 altogether. All 11 curtains are to be the same size, 30 cubits long and 4 cubits wide. In verse 13, the tent curtains will be a cubit longer on both sides. What is left will hang over the sides of the tabernacle so as to cover it. Make for the tent a covering of ram skins dyed red. And over that a covering of the other durable leather. Make upright frames of acacia wood for the tabernacle. Each frame is to be ten cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. With two projections set parallel to each other. Make all the frames of the tabernacle in this way. And now verse 30 to the end of the chapter. Set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the Ark of the Covenant Law in the most holy place. Place the table outside the curtain on the north side of the tabernacle and put the lampstand opposite it on the south side. For the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, 
purple and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain and five posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and cast five bronze bases for them. Would you bow with me? Father, this morning we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have spoken. Lord, that you have made yourself known. Lord, we want to know you. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would guide us to rightly understand the truths of your word, the story of your word, and, Lord, to apply it to our lives as your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of curtains and cubits and gold and silver and bronze and acacia wood, beams, all sorts of things. And as we've said before, a cubit, it's a, 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 a measurement the Bible often speaks of. It's about 18 inches long. And so once again, detailed instructions here. We're getting detailed, very detailed instructions here for God's house that is going to be among his people, showing his character. Once again, showing that he is orderly. He's a God of order. He's a God who is worth adoration. He's worth the very best. He is holy, showing his standard and his provision for his people. We've got an image of what this tabernacle uh, may have looked like. And so you can see the tent here within a broader courtyard. And so the whole tent here, the whole tabernacle, the tent of meeting was 45 feet long by 15 feet wide. It was nestled within this broader courtyard that was about 50 yards long by 25 yards wide. It's divided inside between two spaces by a curtain, the holy place and then the most holy place. And we've looked at several pieces of furniture that are going in this tent over the last few weeks. We've read about the Ark of the Covenant, which is in the most holy place, the cherubim and the atonement cover where God would descend and meet with Moses and then meet with the high priest over the course of the year where his presence would be particular in this tent and then in the holy place we've read about the table of the bread that would be on one side and the lampstand that would be on the other the Lord commands Moses to, to build his sanctuary to build his tabernacle to build his house to these specifications because he is coming down he is coming down to be in relationship with them. In fact, this whole Exodus story is God's story of restoring his relationship with broken sinners. In, in fact, the whole Bible, church, is God's story of restoring his relationship with sinners. God's story declares God's work of restoring his relationship with sinners. That's what the scripture is about. That's what this story within the scriptures is about. God's story of restoring his relationship with sinners. That's what's going on here. The perfect paradise that we read about in the beginning of the Bible, the paradise of Eden, where Adam and Eve, the first couple, enjoyed God's abundant provision and unhindered presence, was lost as a result of their sin. When they disobeyed God, when they rebelled against him, their relationship with God was broken. It was disrupted. The church God knew this would happen, and in his love, he made plans to overcome 
the brokenness of sin. You see, even though he's a holy and just God in the tabernacle, this God would dwell among sinners. In the tabernacle, God dwelt among sinners. So this tent that Moses and the Israelites are to build is going to be in the center of the camp, surrounded by the Israelites, all of whom needed a mediator who could facilitate their relationship with the holy God. And they've already witnessed God's power. right? They, they've seen God's power pour out plagues on Egypt. They've witnessed God's might part the waters of the Red Sea. They've watched God destroy Pharaoh's army that was pursuing them. They've experienced his miraculous provision for them through manna from heaven and water from the rock. They've seen his presence guide them through a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They've felt his glory shake Mount Sinai. Can you imagine what Moses felt when God said to him, now Moses, have the people make a sanctuary for me and I'm going to dwell among them. Um, God, why don't you just stay over there on that mountain and keep an eye on us and protect us? Make sure that no one comes in to evade, invade us. Make sure our enemies don't destroy us. But, but come in the center. You, you don't need to come down here. Friends, the one who is a consuming fire is coming down to dwell among his people. God will reside in this place, in this tabernacle, which would reveal his power and his glory. The tabernacle revealed... God's power and His glory. Revealed His power and His glory. His presence would descend on this place. His glory would reside here. In the tabernacle. God. The one and only God. The almighty God. The perfect and holy. Eternal and majestic and just and mighty God. Dwelt among sinners. It revealed His power and His glory. And at the very same time, church, it concealed his power and glory. Concealed his power and glory. You see, God was in the camp. He was coming to the camp. But you didn't call his secretary to set up an appointment to meet with him in his office. Right? His Shekinah glory, as it is sometimes called, was in the most holy place above the cherubim, over the atonement cover. Separated by a veil from the holy place. And separated by a four-layer tent from the outside world. Only one person, only the high priest would enter the most holy place and he would only do so on one day a year, the day of atonement, and only according to God's specific instructions or else God's glorious presence would strike him dead. Soon Moses is going to ask to see God. He wants to see God's glory. He longs to see God's face and to know his embrace. And so he says to God in Exodus 33, he says, God, show, show me your glory. I want to know you. I want to, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And listen to what the Lord says. The Lord says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But... He said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Concealed from sinners in order to spare sinners. Church, in the tabernacle, God dwelt among sinners. And through the tabernacle, God regulated his relationship with sinners. 
Through the tabernacle, God regulated his relationship with sinners. In fact, everything about this tent, we've talked about this before, portrayed the character of God. Designed to communicate who he is and how his people are to interact with him. Exodus chapter 26 verse 1 tells us that God wanted cherubim woven into the curtains on the tent. And like the cherubim guarding Eden, these angels guarded God's presence. God was going to dwell among sinners, but his presence was guarded. Access to God was limited. So he says in verse 33, hang the curtain from the clasp and place the ark of the covenant law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Put the atonement cover on the ark of the covenant law in the most holy place. Remember, this atonement cover provided the place for the sprinkling of blood where the blood of an animal sacrifice in place of human sinners temporarily appeased God's wrath provided forgiveness of sins and removed the sin barrier between God and his people. Through this earthly tabernacle, God regulated his relationship with sinners. But this was never, this was never a permanent setup. Because God's story declares his work of restoring his relationship with sinners. And what God desires is a permanent restoration where the sin barrier between God and his people is finally and fully removed forever and ever. And in his grand story, in God's grand story of redemption, the earthly tabernacle was never meant to do that. It could not do that. In the tabernacle, God dwelt among sinners, but God's story continues on to announce another tabernacle in which God would come to dwell among sinners. And church, you you know this tabernacle. You know this one who came housing the glorious presence of the Almighty God, for he is why we are gathered once again on this Sunday for worship. In the earthly tabernacle, God dwelt among sinners. And likewise, church, in Jesus, God came to dwell among sinners. In Jesus, the Almighty God, the same God who descended upon Sinai and who came to reside in This tent among the people, this very same one has come to us in Jesus. John describes this Jesus as the word. He is God's revelation. He is God's communication. He is the ultimate self-disclosure of God. He is God. And John announces that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And in the greater context of God's word, language that clearly recalls Exodus. Language from the book of Exodus declaring that in Jesus, something even more significant than God's particular dwelling in the tabernacle is now happening. The Son of God became flesh and tabernacled among us. And like that earthly tabernacle, Jesus too revealed God's power and glory. Jesus came revealing God's power and revealing God's glory. In Jesus, God's power and glory are made known. In fact, the Bible states it like this. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. He goes on in John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. The author of Hebrews states it this way, the Son 
the Son of God, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. In Jesus, God's power and glory are made known. He revealed God's power and glory, but likewise, Jesus concealed God's power and glory. He revealed and concealed the power and glory of God. He's the fullness of God in human flesh, yet the glory of God is concealed by human flesh. How do we know this? Because the Bible gives us glimpses of his unconcealed glory. And one such glimpse is the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that story. Recorded in Mark Chapter 9, we read, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there, Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And so once again, God's glory shines atop a mountain, but unlike Moses, unlike Moses who would enter the presence of God, who would encounter God's presence and then would come out and his his face would shine. Remember that in the book of Exodus, he would come out and his face would shine brightly like the moon reflects the brightness of the sun. But unlike a reflection, Jesus emanates the all-encompassing glory of God. He is the radiance of God's glory The exact representation of his being. Jesus' friends see this and they're terrified. Right? They're afraid. In fact, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. Same word for tabernacle, by the way. Three tabernacles, three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud... This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around. They no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So Peter seems to be saying, Peter is saying, we need a tabernacle. We need rituals. We need barriers to protect us from God's presence. And God responds by removing Moses and Elijah as if to say, all you need is Jesus. You need my son. He is the bridge between God and humanity. As one theologian has said, Jesus is the temple and tabernacle to end all temples and tabernacles because he is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, the ultimate priest to point the way for all priests. Friends, through the first tabernacle, God regulated his relationship with Sinners, but praise God through Jesus, God restores sinners into right relationship with Him. He restores sinners, broken sinners who have run from Him and rebelled against Him. He restores sinners into right relationship with Him. The former tabernacle regulated, but it did not restore. It's a chapter, an important chapter, a chapter in God's story of his work to restore his relationship with sinners. A picture and a part of preparing the way for the permanent solution. And friends, Jesus is the permanent solution to our broken fellowship with God. Jesus restores sinners into right relationship with God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him shall not perish. Shall not receive the 
due and deserved penalty and punishment for their sins shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, through Jesus, God saves. Through Jesus, God restores sinners. How so? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange. Our sin for Jesus' righteousness. Imputation. That's what theologians call this. Meaning Christ's credit. Christ's position. Christ's status. Christ's righteousness before God applied, imputed to our account upon conversion. Meaning when it comes to our position before God Almighty, not only does He forgive us, but we are no longer even considered guilty in His eyes. Given the righteousness of Jesus, which is why Matthew tells us that when Jesus took God's wrath on the cross of Calvary, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom. The curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. The curtain that kept sinners like us out of the consuming fire of God's holy presence. The curtain has been torn in two. Declaring that God has opened the way into his presence through Jesus. Friends, this is God's story. And it's a good story. He he wrote it. God's story declares his work of restoring his relationship with sinners. So see God's desire to be in relationship with you. Friends, see God's desire. Almighty, holy, majestic, eternal, maker of heaven and earth. See his desire. He desires to be in relationship with you. See his longing to be with you, to be right with you, providing for you, satisfying you, loving you, being known by you for forever. Friends, see God's desire to be in relationship with you and then, sinner, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Receive the reconciliation freely offered to you. Freely offered to me. Receive the reconciliation freely offered to you in Jesus. Receive it in faith. Believing what the scriptures declare about God's character and your need for the Savior. Be reconciled to God today by turning from sin and professing faith in Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. Or maybe you're gathered in this place or you're watching from home. Maybe you've never been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. Cry out to Jesus today for life and salvation. Acknowledge that He is who He says He is. That He is the the perfect and eternal Son of God. He is the only righteous one. He is Lord and Savior. He gave His life for you. Turn away from sin and trust in Christ. Express your desire to follow after Him. For the Scriptures say, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on Him, meaning whoever calls on Jesus, whoever acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and Savior and surrenders to Him will be saved. Cry out, to him for salvation today. If you cry out to him for salvation today, that is where you are this morning. Let me urge you to turn from sin and trust in the Savior. Express that to God. He will hear you. And then let us know. Let me know. 
Come and share. Let me know. Even this morning, in a few moments, as we stand, as we sing a hymn of response that the Lord prompts you, come and let me know that then. Let me know after the service. If you're watching from home, let, let us know. Turn and trust Jesus for life and salvation. We want to know so we can pray for you and gather around you and guide you and see you through. Profess that faith in Christ before others through baptism as Christ commands us to do. Friends, see God's desire to be in relationship with you and be reconciled to God today. And then once you're reconciled to God today, maybe you've been reconciled to God already. Once you've been reconciled to God, then you celebrate. Friends, celebrate salvation through Jesus our Savior. Celebrate Jesus. We are here this morning. Every time we gather, we are here to celebrate Jesus. We are here to to worship Jesus and to worship Him alone. You celebrate by worshiping the God who saved. You celebrate Him by serving others in His name. You celebrate Him by singing praises to His name. You celebrate by gathering with others who bear His name. And the truth is, if we forget what He has done for us, then we will forget to celebrate Him. If we become distracted, if we lose sight, if we lose focus, if we fail to be reminded of the truths of His, of his Word, if we fail to hear the Gospel again and again, we will forget. We are prone to forget. We are prone to wonder. We are prone to fall back into sin, to go our own way. We will forget if we are not reminded. And so one of the ways that, that our Lord calls us to be reminded is through the table of communion to the Lord's table remembering what Jesus has done for us remembering what he has accomplished on our behalf remembering the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus the sacrifice to end all sacrifices By the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so this morning, let me invite you, if you are a believer, if you've gone from death to life, if you are a child of the King, if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, if you have professed faith in Him, let me invite you to participate this morning with us in communion. The Lord's Supper, according to our Lord's instructions. And so let me invite you to take out that communion cup once again. Praise the Lord, we may not have to do these too much longer. (laughs) But even so, we peel back that thin top layer that exposes a wafer. That wafer reminds us of the body of our Savior that was broken for us. And so as we prepare to eat and to remember, let's pause together and let's pray. Let's confess our sin. Let's remember our Lord's sacrifice. Let's bow together. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging that there is no one like you. Lord, that you are worthy, that you are holy, that you are majestic, that you are eternal. Lord, that you always do right. And that as a result of our sin, we are unworthy, Lord, to commune with you. We are unworthy 
to enter into your presence. But Father, this morning we celebrate that you have provided a way. Lord, that you have shown a way to be just and the one who justifies us by sending your son Jesus to be our savior. Father, forgive us where we sin against you. Father, thank you for cleansing us by the blood of Christ. Father, we thank you for your good and perfect plan to restore broken sinners into right relationship with you. Lord, we celebrate that today. And Father, we remember it today. Just as you have commanded us. And so, Father, even now, free us from distractions. Help us remember. Help us reflect. Lead us to celebrate Jesus and life in him. It's in the name of Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, taking that bread, invite you to remember the body of Christ that was broken for us. Let's eat and remember Jesus. Likewise, friends, let's take the cup of red juice that is meant to remind us of the blood of our Savior. Scriptures declare that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But because of Christ's blood shed on our behalf, there is forgiveness. We're reminded as we take the cup today that the blood of Christ cleanses us, that it washes us, clears us of guilt in God's eyes, makes us right with Him. So let's take the blood, let's remember the blood of our Savior that was spilled for our sins. Church, those two mountains that we mentioned this morning, the Mount Sinai and the Mount of Transfiguration were glimpses. They were previews of God's power and His glory. And when we take the Lord's Supper, when we participate in communion, we are remembering God's power displayed over sin on the cross of Calvary. And we are remembering and celebrating Christ's power displayed over death through His resurrection. And we are anticipating, the Bible says, we are anticipating His power and His glory soon to be revealed through His second coming, upon which God will dwell with the saved forever. He will dwell with His people who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. He will dwell with His people forever and ever and ever. God's story declares God's work of restoring his relationship with sinners, a future and forever rest that God shows John, his disciple. Shows him a vision, revelation, and John describes that future and forever rest in this way. Revelation chapter 21, a new heaven and a new earth, the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And 
get this. John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. There will be, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The Bible says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Father, we praise you for this promise. Father, we anticipate the fulfillment of it through our Lord's return. And so, Lord, today we have gathered to celebrate Jesus and life in him and to anticipate to long for the day of His return that we might be with You forever. Lord, that we truly may see Your face where there's no more sin and the consequences of sin. Father, we long for Your glory. We long for Your embrace. Father, we long to know You fully. And so, Lord, we long for our Lord's return. And until then, Lord, help us to live for You. Help us to walk with You. Lord, lead us to respond to you in a way that glorifies your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.